0: Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Mo Money Mo Houses. I'm Jessica Morehouse, your host, and thank you so much for listening and putting me in your ear or maybe there's some speakers around and you're cooking something. I am stoked to be at episode 16. I can't believe it's already been a couple months I've been doing this. It's insane. And I am stoked because my next guest is... Um, an author. So it's my first kind of non-blogger, you know, kind of guest. And his name is Robert Brown. He is the author of the personal finance book, Wealthing Like Rabbits. I've read it. I actually did a review of it, I guess maybe a year ago or so. I can't remember, but I, you know, was trying to think of, you know, who would be a really fascinating guest for this show. And I, of course, remembered his book. I looked through it before I interviewed him and I remembered every single story. It's very close to in my mind, very similar to The Wealthy Barber and how it's written, kind of narrative style. So very excited to talk to Robert about his book and all of the topics he covers in his book. And because I've mentioned book like five times in this, you know, one sentence, I am of course going to be giving away a copy of Wealthy Like Rabbits. So make sure you listen to the entire episode or wait till the end or skip to the end, whatever you want to find out how you can enter this contest. And also you may want to stick around too because I am going to be giving some iTunes shout out. So people left me some iTunes reviews. I'm going to give them a nice thank you at the end of this episode and read out their review. So stick around for that. Thank you so much, Robert, for being on the show today.
1: Jessica, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Ah, you're welcome. Um, So... As I usually do, I kind of like starting from the beginning and getting a little sense of um, where my guests come from and how they got interested in personal finance. So let's kind of start with you. How did you... Um, get interested in the personal finance sphere because it is kind of a weird niche thing to get into. It
1: is. And you know what? I, I got started in personal finance by reading personal finance books. Go figure. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm a reader. I, I read quite a bit. And, you know, I, I was telling you before we got on the air here that uh, when I was 27 or so, I read David Chilton's The Wealthy Barber and it had a big influence on me. And after I read that book, I started reading just about every personal finance book that has ever been written in Canada in the last 20 years or so. So it sort of became a, a hobby, if that's fair. But I've always mm-hmm. had an interest in it and, and how I manage my money. And so that's kind of where I, I got started.
0: Hmm. And so that kind of did. did – I'm just curious because I feel like a lot of people have – um, you know, it comes down to their their childhood or a family. Was your family into like frugal or like how did they kind of manage their money? Did that influence you as you grew up as well? My
1: my family was very much into frugal. I, I grew up on a farm in southern Ontario. So I'm a, okay. I'm a farm boy. So not only did we did we were we pretty frugal about how we spent our money uh, mm-hmm. do it yourself was a big thing in my family and self-sufficiency. So, you know, if you ever get a chance to talk to my wife, she'll tell you, I'm very, very hesitant to pull out my wallet if I can figure out a way to do something myself.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> um, so what, was it just your passion and your upbringing that, you know, gave you that motivation to write your own book?
1: Well, it's funny because you know what, um, Writing a book, not necessarily a personal finance book, but writing mm-hmm. a book was always a uh, a bucket list thing mm-hmm. for me, if you will. I was always yeah. that guy. And, and you know that guy, that guy you meet at parties or says, you know, someday no, I'm, I'm going to write a book, book or I'm going <laughs> to write a book. Well, let me tell you, Jess, starting to write a book, it's easy. I've done it lots of times. Mm-hmm. finishing the books a whole new story. So, I was that yep. guy for about 20 years. I was going to write a book and when I was at work, I was the guy that wrote the creative and funny emails. And mm. uh it was actually my wife who said, you know, listen, you know, stop stop talking about it and then put a pen to paper and get doing it. And and the first thing I wrote when I first started was on growing up on a farm. I wrote some short stories around Round that childhood and, mm-hmm. uh, and and they were terrible, and, uh, they, oh. and, and they, <laughs> I was just
0: going to ask him 'm like, "Where can I find these somewhere? Uh, oh maybe I, maybe not
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I think I buried them pretty deep and in and, and a very small market it wouldn't have appealed to a lot of people, so I, I kind of got a little discouraged by that, and I was thinking, "Well, what should I write? What should I write And uh, my wife again looked at my bookshelf behind me, and there's twenty or thirty personal finance books stacked up there, and at the mm-hmm. same time, I had just written a series of emails at work trying to encourage young employees to get involved in the RSP plan at work because it was free oh. money and kids weren't getting involved mm-hmm. in it. So I wrote a, a series of six or seven emails that were pretty well received. So all those events kind of came together, and I, I decided I'd uh, start writing a personal finance book, and that's where it started.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So how did you come up with the very awesome title, Wealthing Like Rabbit? Okay.
1: Um, first of all, I can't take full credit for the title.
0: And, okay. Uh,
1: I, I, my the 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 first title that we were thinking about using was just "Wealthing," just one word, and okay. and that was a little dry, and it didn't really capture the flavor of the book, kind of that. that, that I, fun, I agree, I agree. That fun, and it was actually a friend at work that said "Wealthing like rabbits" because it kind of cheeky playing on words on that other thing that rabbits do yeah. a lot of. So that, so that was kind of fun. But I'll tell you another funny story. When 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 we were developing the book and we weren't sure of the title and we had the rabbits thing and I'd already done the part on zombies and compound interest and later on in the book I cracked some jokes about sex being a fun thing to do if you don't have anything better to do. So the, so the working title of the book for a while was Sex, Zombies, and Compound Interest. Which, oh, I
0: like that title. That's well, that's
1: but here's the thing, Jessica. Yeah. It's a great, clever title. But if you go on Google and Google sex zombies, you actually get a response. And, uh, yeah, as,
0: <laughs> and you and, may not find and, the and, audience and, you're looking and that for. That was not the
1: audience I was looking for. But when we chose to invent the word wealthing, and, and I'd love to say I did this by design, but it was just a freak accident. Mm-hmm. Wealthing is a word that we kind of invented. So if you go on and Google wealthing, Everything Mm -hmm. you get will be around my book because it's the only thing out there that has that word. So it was kind of a a, a good marketing ploy that I I didn't really think through. I just got lucky and it happened.
0: Absolutely. That's awesome. Being a digital marketing nerd myself, I'm like, that's great that you kind of, what's our SEO strategy? All right, let's do that. That was was all
1: my idea. (laughs)
0: That's amazing. Um, so I wanted to kind of uh, talk about a few of the topics you talk about in the book. Okay. Um, I kind of me- mentioned to you before we hit the record button that um, I read your book and I reviewed it back in September, which I loved. And um, before uh, getting you know preparing for this interview, I just you know went through the book just to kind of refresh my memory and. As I went through each chapter, I remembered each story vividly.
1: Oh, oh, thank you. That's kind.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't happen too often when I'm reading a personal finance book and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this chapter. It's specifically about this and there's that guy. And so I thought that was really cool. And, and part of the reason that I think um, the book is a bit different than other personal finance books out there is... It's, kind of on its own um, thing and it's just, yeah, it's an easy way just kind of, I also mentioned that it's it's very similar to one of my favorite personal finance books, which is the wealthy barber where it's, it's written in a narrative style and that helps to remember the information and make it interesting. And you just kind of like, you know, it's a page turner, quite honestly, you kind of want to know how the story uh, ends, right? Again,
1: Jessica, thank you. Being compared to the wealthy barber is about, you know, the best compliment a Canadian personal finance writer can get. (laughs) And, and I think that we're blessed in Canada that we have a number of excellent personal finance authors, and I don't want to uh, badmouth our friends to the south, but I think we do a better job of it in Canada than, than for the most part the Americans do. But I wanted mm-hmm. to write something that was different, and, and that's why we subtitled it An Original Introduction of Personal Finance. If I tried to find uh, David Chilton's voice, or Gail Van Zoxley's voice, or Preet Banerjee's voice, or... Bruce Celery's voice, all those excellent authors. Well, mm-hmm. I don't think I could have done it as well as any of those guys did it. And I wanted to do something that was a little unique and that would stand out to people who before had not been interested in personal finance and try to get them interested. And I knew if I was going to take on that challenge, it had to be a fun read. So the goal mm-hmm. was to write a book that was entertaining, but at the same time educational, fun, but not silly. And sometimes that's a really fine line to walk. And, and, and I hope I found it.
0: I think you did. Cause when I was reading the book, I remember, um, I remember remembering that, um, I was reading it and I'm like, this would be a perfect book to give to my little sister once she finishes university and is about to kind of, you know, get her first real job and move out. And, you know, because that was at that point in my life, that's when I started getting interested in personal finance because, well, I had to pay my own bills and I had to figure stuff out. So, um, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, finding a really great way to explain complex um, aspects of you know finance to an audience who doesn't know where to start.
1: And 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 introductory and foundational personal finance. When I do book signing events and chapters, I'm all I always go a long way on my way to tell them that this isn't an investing book. There are there mm-hmm. are tons of books and chapters to do a fantastic job in talking about investing. This is about common sense everyday money situation set excuse me that almost everybody faces things like the need to save some of their money for their future. Yeah, I hope you noticed that I wasn't one of those guys that said you need to put away every nickel you make, but you do need to save mm-hmm. some. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the math doesn't lie. The sooner you start in life, the better off you're going to be later in life. I, mm-hmm. uh, I talked quite a bit about home ownership and, and living within mm-hmm. your means and uh, a lot about debt and all the different ways we, we can borrow money. But very foundational stuff so that hopefully they will have some money someday to invest.
0: Exactly. And that kind of brings me to the first chapter. That's all about choices, which I really liked because I feel like a lot of people are kind of afraid to even like dip their toes into the personal finance world because they're just afraid of not doing it right. Or, you know, they make excuses like, oh, well, I don't have enough money to start investing or, you know, stuff like that. And at the end of the day, it really just comes down to choices. And sometimes it's like, there isn't, necessarily a bad choice you need you just need to kind of start there you know you may you know I remember just when I was starting to invest I remember I I understood the kind of basic concepts of RSPs and TFSAs and stuff like that and mutual funds but I was always kind of afraid of putting you know a big chunk of money into this mutual fund instead of this one I'm like what if I'm not making the right you know what if I could make a little bit more money in that one but I'm investing in this one and you know a lot of it is you just need to kind of try and just try to make the best choices, you know, you can, and then just keep getting better at it.
1: I absolutely agree. Obviously, we should all try and make the best choices that we can. But if our if the bar we set for ourselves is we're not going to do anything until we know what the perfect choice is, you'll Mm -hmm. never make that decision. Jessica mm-hmm. people like you and I and people in the personal finance world every every January through March, we can have the great debate over which is better an r s p or a tax free savings account, which is better under which circumstances and it's a fair argument, and under circumstances, one is marginally better than the other. Mm -hmm. But for most young people who haven't started yet, the far more important thing is that they pick one or the other and they be committed to saving for the long term. Some people can wait for years trying to make the perfect decision on that when, in fact, the perfect decision would have been to start with one or the other three years ago. Sometimes they beat up the details when they should be focused on the broader picture.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And uh – after kind of the choices The other chapter that I really loved Particularly because I think at that point I was considering getting into The kind of property world Buying my first place with my husband I think I but saw some posts around that Yeah, yeah, There's, I'll, I'll put those in the show notes If anyone's interested But um, yeah, we were really gung-ho About like, yes, we're in Toronto I think we're going to stay here for a while And it looked like on MLS That it was actually affordable to buy a house We're from Vancouver, so everything looks affordable um, But <laughs> there's pretty I I don't every day.
1: Toronto looks affordable.
0: Well, yeah, when you're from Vancouver, yeah, it does. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, so I really enjoy the chapter about mortgages because that was something that I knew a bit about, but I couldn't. There's, it just seemed a little bit overcomplicated. You know, lots of people just weren't very good at explaining it. And then there's, I really just liked your story about the Mar- Mario and just. You- Mario and Luigi. And it's funny because I remember, yeah, like reading that chapter and totally picturing Mario and Luigi from Nintendo <laughs> <laughs> buying houses. I'll tell you, that and, was the very
1: first chapter I wrote. You think you think when someone writes a book, they, they write it in the order that you read it, which, mm-hmm. which isn't the case at all. And, well, maybe oh, is it is for right? some people, not not for me at all. It was all over the page. You mentioned the first chapter. That was actually one of the last chapters I wrote. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. It, That's it, so cool. Yeah.
1: But um the the, the chapter on mortgage. Was actually the first chapter I wrote, and the first time I wrote it, it wasn't Mario and Luigi. It was uh-huh. um, it was the Brady Bunch, and <laughs> uh, and it just got too convoluted. And there was too many people, and there, there was, was too many
0: people in Brady Bunch.
1: inappropriate relationships happening, and it just <laughs> it was just got so And I said, oh, there's just too much information in there. How can I, how can I boil this down and, and find a a pop culture reference that's, that's only two people that works for a millennial generation. And I look across the room and my son who was 16 mm-hmm. at the time is they're playing a, uh, you know, diddy cart racing. And I'm like, oh, God, mm-hmm. it. that's so perfect. That's you know? it.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed how you just kind of made a, a very interesting but simple story about how, and it's true, it happened to us when we were looking at getting a mortgage. Um, on one way, you know what you can afford, but if you go to a bank or a mortgage broker, they're going to tell you kind of another number because they want you to spend more sure. than you have, sure. and then you can you can get kind of caught up in that. Well, maybe we can afford more than we think. Maybe we can afford this huge house. Yeah. And even when we were looking with a real estate agent, she kept on. You know, we we're like, this is. Our budget. We're very, like, I'm a personal finance blogger. I know what, you know, uh, a budget when I see one. This is, we're very strict with it. And Good for you. She kept on showing us houses that were like, you know, $50,000 more than we wanted. We're like, I can see how if someone's not super prepared or educated about all this, they could wind up buying more house than they should buy. And that's kind of like a lot of people in Canada right now, honestly. It is a
1: lot of people in Canada. What the real estate agents will sometimes do. I don't want to lump them all in no, basket. But they'll tell you it will cost this much more a week or this much more a month without any indication of just how much that's going to cost you over the period of 25 or 30 years. So when I wrote that chapter, one of the things I was I was proud of is that I followed the two brothers through to the end of their mortgage and showed just how much real money it actually costs. And I thought it was mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty powerful way to teach a lesson.
0: Absolutely. Are you still house shopping? <laughs> no. <laughs> We were, uh, we I guess we did it for about a month and a half, I'd say, and then we called it quits for kind of the next little while. Sure. I'm not sure when we'll, we'll look again, but I think we kind of got scared off. <laughs> Fair
1: enough, I understand that. And you know, yeah. one of these guys that's been saying that the Toronto housing market is, is overheated and it's due to dip back now. I've also
0: been, I think it is. I I, I hope it is because maybe I could actually afford to buy something one day. I
1: I, I think it is. But like, like everybody else, I certainly don't know. And I got to tell you, I've been saying it's overheated for five years and I've been wrong every year. So I, yeah, I, I don't know.
0: It's tricky to say, but I think, you know, at the end of the day with us anyway, we, you know, we looked at a lot of places and we knew what our budget was and we're not, we weren't buying a house to be our dream house or forever house or anything like that. We were just... Interested in buying property so we can like have an investment in that kind of way. Sure. And it just became way too expensive and th- th- it just wasn't like a sound, you know, investment basically. We're like, or we could, you know, save all that money on like property taxes and mortgage and utilities and this and that and that and uh, put it in the bank you're, and invest it. You're, you're speaking <laughs> my language, yes. Exactly. And that's what we've been doing. And I haven't, I mean, honestly, I remember during that time that we were. House hunting, like there's lots of sleepless nights, and yeah. I never, I don't worry about money because you know we live pretty simply and we kind of have our budget and we we know what's going on. But during that time, I started I'm like Josh. I think we're gonna have to get some more jobs. You're gonna have to get a second job at the grocery store or something to pay for this house that we don't have right now. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is, this is crazy. Let's Step back and rethink this. Let's step back and let's take a moment, and yeah, and then we decide that it's just not a not a good time for us to buy anyway. Good for you. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I feel good about that decision. I haven't looked back since, honestly. Um. So yeah, another um. Yeah, kind of on that same note, because another story I really liked in your book was about Casaloma, which is you know what's so funny, uh, that your story about Casaloma and how it came to be was I had no idea that was the actual story. Oh, okay. I had no idea that was like a nice history lesson for me that it was this you know wealth or this man who kind of made his money in Toronto, and then um you know, started building his dream castle and then the expenses just got too much. And then he eventually went bankrupt, didn't he?
1: The part of that story that I liked that I I didn't know when I started to get into it, I was aware of Castle Ullman that a a rich guy had built it and he he died broke. But what I didn't know is that Henry Pellet, the guy that bought it, made his Mm -hmm. money in electricity. He was one of the guys that brought electricity to southern Ontario. And in the 1912s or 1913s, the Ontario government... Changed the laws so that it had to be electricity had to be supplied through public companies. So in effect, Henry lost his job. Okay, oh, and so I thought, yeah. so that really worked well with what I was trying to do because in our mm-hmm. world today, sometimes people lose their jobs due to circumstances beyond their control. So I thought it was a really nice fit into what I was trying to
0: do absolutely and I, I see this a lot and there's lots of like articles and newspapers and stuff that people because interest rates are so low they're buying more house than maybe they should and they're just basically they're just only okay for now because you know they both have their jobs nothing's going crazy but or, I kind of feel for these people that if one of them does lose their job or if something happens or, what, are, what are they going to do? Or if
1: a couple kids come along they, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty expensive to, to raise too or if interest rates go up and one of the points that make in the book is that interest rates are at an all-time low, and, and that's great. They have been for about seven years, but I think it's realistic to expect some time in the next 25 or 30 years they're going to go up. Because people Absolutely. need to be ready for that.
0: Exactly. Like, they can't stay low forever. What goes down must go up and, you know, Eventually. vice versa. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah, we don't know when, but, you know, that's kind of inevitable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of switching gears a bit, I really liked your section about credit cards just because I feel like I was just kind of flipping through the chapter. I'm like, that is exactly what I do. You, Your kind of mentality and mine, like I don't like credit cards. I don't like credit. I don't like debt. I've never been in major debt myself and I credit that because I hate debt so much. I just try not to use credit at all. So one, that, one of the kind of habits I created, um, I guess back probably five years ago or or maybe more was I do use my credit card on occasion. I actually use it more now. I don't use debit. I use credit. uh, My credit card is my kind of main um, payment card. Um, But I don't wait until my statement comes. I pay it off immediately. And it's mainly because I don't like looking at my like bank account and seeing that I owe money. And it's a good kind of way just to budget.
1: And it I also want. forces you to be aware of what you're spending on your credit card. I'm sure mm-hmm. you know people, and I talk about this in the book, and, and and I'll tell you, I've been there at points in my life where, you know, after Christmas or something, you open up your credit card bill. Even after trying to be disciplined about it, you go, Oh my God, I can't remember spending all that much money, and it's two or three hundred dollars more than you thought it was. And I know people that are in a lot worse shape or, or have worse examples than that at all. But if you pay it off daily, once you've used it you're always aware of your spending. You know where that money's mm-hmm. going. and You never fall into that trap.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important habit to have. And I, I definitely have one. I know most people probably aren't as crazy as me, but I definitely look at my bank account on a weekly basis, just so I know, you know, I have an idea of what I spend, but it's sometimes you forget <laughs> or you forget that you made a big purchase. Like recently I bought a plane ticket. I look at my credit card. And I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe I should, you know, try to make more meals at home this week. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, and and Mm -hmm. the other thing that I hear a lot that I I like to push back on, and I did a little in the book is when people say, as long as you pay your credit card bill in full each month, it's okay to use your credit card. And that's the statement that I, I would, I would, I do I push people back on just because Mm -hmm. you can pay your credit card bill in full. Obviously, that's better than not paying it full. Certainly Mm -hmm. it is. But that doesn't mean the money you spent on your credit card couldn't have been put to better use elsewhere. Did you make an RSP uh, contribution last year or a tax-free savings account contribution that month? Did you put some money away for your kid's education? Could have you paid down the mortgage? Are there are all kinds of other uses you could have used for that money that you used to pay off your credit card bill. So certainly mm-hmm. it's better than, than carrying a balance on your credit card. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But I don't think people should arbitrarily assume that just because they paid off their credit card, they've used it wisely.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that um so I think we're kind of reaching the end of our interview but to kind of uh end things off I want to kind of go with the flow with your book and it's about finding balance so what I really liked is how you said you know there's tons of books out there including yours and they give you advice but you know some most people at the end of reading a book they'll be like yeah but how do how do I actually implement that Absolutely. or how do I find a balance and it's true it's like it's it's not, you know, I, I find personal finance, it can be simple when you just kind of look at the really important, important points of it, but but, but implementing it, it
1: can be a little trickier.
0: Exactly. And just finding balance within your own life. Yep. I mean, it can be, you know, hard. What if you're really passionate about travel? Like I, I have my friend, Stephanie, I interviewed her about, um, traveling. And so she is very passionate about travel, but she also works for a nonprofit, which obviously she doesn't, you know, make a a crazy salary and travel is very expensive. So she kind of has to find a balance to afford the lifestyle she wants. And in so doing, she lives a very frugal and minimalist lifestyle. And so I find, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to extremes like that, but I do find, yeah, lots of people probably struggle with finding that balance on like, how do I you know, find financial freedom or, you know, pay down all my debt, but also not live in a box <laughs> and have no fun. Yeah, and,
1: and I talk about uh, balanced frugality in that people who are careful with their money don't always eat crap dinner and never go out, but they are exactly. a little bit more disciplined and they're a little bit more comfortable living within their means. They might drive a, a used car. I'm, I still drive a used car and always have you know just a balanced decision that allows me to have more money to free up elsewhere but you know it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier when people get into the you know should i pay off debt or should i save for the future debate well i think i think obviously they're they're both good things to do paying off debt is good and saving for the future is dead. what i usually recommend to people is is do both even if you can do less of both i'm always a fan of telling people to start saving because they need to establish that habit of saving. If they pay off all their debt first and then start saving, I think with the best of intentions, they're kind of setting a habit of postponing that savings piece. But I would rather see them get it started, even with a small amount, pay off their debt, and then start to save more once they've done that. But there's no no perfect answer to that situation. They kind of need to balance all those fundamentals out together, but they can't ignore them either.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I know you mentioned this really great point where most people that live within their means are happier for it, and oh, I agree with that. Absolutely, I've always lived within my means, and I, again, I, I like I said earlier, I don't worry about money. I don't have you know a ton of it, but I don't worry about it.
1: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, you may not have a ton of it right now, but all that's relative. If 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 you're not in debt, if you have a mm-hmm. hundred dollars in your bank you say oh, i don't have a lot of money that's a lot more money than having negative ten thousand dollars in your that's bank. that's true so everything is relative and
0: everything is relative absolutely well thank you so much robert for joining me on the program today well,
1: that was fun thanks for having me jessica Anytime. you're
0: welcome thanks Thank you so much for listening. And for the show notes for this episode, all you have to do is go com slash 16. And if you check out the show notes, you'll actually find a special giveaway I'm doing Robert... Brown is so nice enough to give away a copy of his book, Wealthing Like Rabbits, to a lucky winner. So make sure to check out the show notes uh, to enter that contest. So maybe you'll win his book for free. Um, And you can also check out more about him and the book at WealthingLikeRabbits.com. Before I go, I just want to give a few shout outs to some iTunes reviews I have from my fellow Canadians. Uh, The first is from Eamon Sitar. Finance doesn't have to be boring. That's what this podcast is about. Love listening to it and would highly recommend it to everyone as it is very insightful and fun to listen to. Excited for more. Thank you so much, Eamon, for your feedback. I really appreciate it. Next one up is from ConnectNut. and they say, Jess and her guests make it enjoyable to listen to a personal finance podcast. Fabulous. Thank you so much. I'm glad you are enjoying listening to my show. The next one I have is from Prakris. This is a well-produced podcast with informative guests, interesting personal finance stories, and good advice regarding personal finance with a Canadian focus. I look forward to each episode. Awesome. Thank you so much, Prakris. And the last one is a bit of a tricky one. It's in French. Luckily, I did go to French immersion, though I have not used my French for many years. So bear with me. This is from Undiepbe and they say très bon podcast pour ceux qui sont intéressés par leur finance Jessica a une voix qui est facile d'écouter well thank you so much and if I understand that right uh, they are saying very nice podcast very interesting about finance and Jessica has a very nice voice that is easy to listen to well thank you so much merci beaucoup and if you want to get a shout out on a future episode all you have to do is give me a iTunes review or a Stitch review and I'd be happy to say thank you on a future episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you back here next Wednesday.
1: This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.